Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, I guess it's just me, Charles Maxwood. I finally got my voice back, so I'm going to be recording the audiobook for my book. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Jamie. Jamie Perkins is our guest. He created Podfan, which is a system for... Maybe you should give the elevator pitch instead of me trying to fumble my way through it. Yeah, sure. It's a membership for podcasts. So you can distribute a private feed. You can accept recurring donations that sort of thing. Oh, nice. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open sourced Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I've met a few people who have had issues with Patreon, which is which seems to be the way that people tend to get the recurring payment thing. So it's nice to see there are other options out there. Yeah, it was uh, meant to be just an alternative and a purpose-built platform for podcasts specifically. Yeah, and they... I hate to complain about Patreon on, on the show, but they've kind of come around a little bit at a time to podcasters. So having a purpose-built thing is really nice. Yeah, um, it just seems like it was time, you know? Yep, absolutely. So it's built in Angular. I think that's how we kind of got this thing together. You said, oh, I built it in Angular. And I was like, well, come on the show and tell us about how you built it. So uh, what's your stack? What are we looking at here? And how long did it take you? Yeah, so I built it with Angular Fire. So it's a Firebase project. Mm -hmm. Angular Fire is just awesome. I love it. I definitely spread the good word about Firebase and Angular Fire to anybody who wants to listen. It's not without its challenges, but as far as being able to build something really fast, I think it's a great way to go. I built, started building it in December of last year, and I finished in like July. I had a beta in July, and then I pushed out a few more features and officially launched it in September of 2019. Oh, nice. So start to finish pretty fast for you know an entire platform, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I've been working on another SaaS project, and... I think it's been almost two years now. <laughs> so usually don't hear about that fast to launch. I'm assuming it's making you some money as well. Hardly any, hardly any. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's been more of a learning experience than anything else, but it was still great to uh, to learn the Stripe API. And uh-huh. I definitely dove into SSR with Firebase at a pretty detailed level. <laughs> so that was interesting too. Can you do server-side rendering with Firebase? Yeah, you absolutely can. And Podfan is a great example of it because all the pages, I wanted to have great SEO. And so mm-hmm. any Podfan page, if you look at the source, you'll see it's all there. It comes right from the server with all the content. Nice. Yeah, how much work is it to get started with Firebase? Because I haven't done a ton with it. I've kind of played a little bit with FonityB. And I've looked at some of the offerings on like AWS and kind of cobbled some things together, but I haven't used Firebase 
much? I'd say it's pretty easy. There's just a couple caveats that you should keep in mind before you decide to use Firebase for your project. And I think the main one is search Mm -hmm. because it is a NoSQL database, but also um, you can't have like a, like Mongo has a really nice like regex query that you can use to do like like queries, which is like the SQL equivalent of a like query. Firebase doesn't have that. You can't really do search. So they suggest using a third-party tool called Algolia or Angolia. I can't remember how uh-huh. it's pronounced. Algolia. Algolia. Yeah, so they, they suggest using that. Search isn't a huge part of what Podfin does, so I didn't dive into that. But basically what you can do is add extra fields that sort of um, that match more terms for each document that you have. And that's kind of like a easy way to uh, optimize search. But as far as just getting started with Firebase, it's really easy and fast. If you don't know ArcGIS very well, when you start, you're going to be a total expert at it by the time you're done uh-huh. because everything's observables. Firebase, for those who don't know, it's a WebSocket connection. So anytime a document gets updated, it's updating real time in your app. Right. And observables are the perfect way to interface with those streams. And so it's really cool to use the app and watch your all your changes happen immediately. So I really enjoyed that. Right. So when you're using uh, Angular Fire, does it provide you with the observables? Or yep, yeah, it's basically the observable layer on top of Firebase. Does it give you shortcuts for some of the more common stuff, like if you're updating um, content or a field or something like that, or do you have to wire it up from the observable? I would say you'd wire up everything in a service that kind of makes those shortcuts for you, but it's already really, I mean, it's about as simple as you could possibly make it from an API standpoint. Yeah, makes sense. So I guess the other question is, is, you know, how much does it cost to run something on Firebase? How do they, how do they work out the pricing there? So that's the cool thing too. Um, I think I'm on the blaze plan, Mm -hmm. which I haven't paid anything for yet with my traffic. Right. Basically getting on the blaze plan, they have all these like fire analogies for all their plans, but right. the blaze plan, it won't charge you until you hit a certain threshold. And there's like all these different categories for thresholds that you can hit like bandwidth and mm-hmm. all kinds of things like that. Document reads, document writes, but it allows you to access third-party APIs and cloud functions. That's one of the snags you'll hit early on with Firebase is um, you'll try to hit like a send grade API and you'll get an error and it's because you have to upgrade to uh, the Blaze plan. I gotcha. So you can't hit the send grid API unless you're on the Blaze plan then? Just any external API okay. from the cloud function, you have to upgrade to at least the Blaze plan before you can do that. Makes sense. So um, on the free plan, is that really the main limitation or are there other limitations there too? Or is the Blaze plan free? I haven't read anything yet. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, it has been free so far. I haven't paid anything yet. So it's a pretty generous free tier, I'd say. Nice. So what, what kinds of things did you run into building a pod fan? Like what, what issues came up or what kinds of things did you run into while putting it together? I'd say the hardest part was server-side rendering. And there is a schematic for that. And that makes it a lot easier, but then integrating it with Firebase is a little tricky. 
you can run into some weird issues. Um, James McDaniels, who maintains Angular Fire, made a really nice tutorial on how to do it, and it worked pretty well. I think I hit some snags. I mean, every different use case is going to have different snags, and so you can't really hold them at fault for not, you know, predicting every single mm-hmm. thing that everybody's right. going to run into. But that was the trickiest part is just getting that to work because trying to debug debug that it's like a 250,000 line file that Webpack generates. <laughs> it's, it's just about impossible because it's like a different, you know, it's JavaScript, but it is really hard to interpret if you're not familiar with Webpack. So getting through that was the trickiest, but once you get through that, it wasn't too bad. So what kinds of edge cases did it not handle well? Well, so Firebase is distributed in a few different packages, kind of like how Angular is. There's like a bunch of different packages that are all namespaced under Angular. And it's similar with Firebase, but then there's this core Firebase package that a lot of packages use. And mm-hmm. the tricky thing is just making sure that you have all the versions aligned. So if you're using a certain version of, of Firebase, you have to have that aligned with different like patches and minor versions of other related Firebase packages, because if they're not aligned, then you get all these obscure errors. So huh. I've suggested before on GitHub issues, if they could just like release some kind of a table of compatible you know, versions of all the different packages, it would, it would clear a lot of things up for everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially where that's, yeah, a common issue. Yeah, because you'll go to upgrade one package and then you go to build your project and you get some some errors and it's just because you know you have to upgrade to this one minor version of this other package to make it work with this other package. So, Yeah, I've been playing with React Native a little bit and you run into that same issue where it's, oh, you upgraded React Native and now nothing works, right? Because you have the wrong version of the other packages that you're relying on. Yep. They don't have like all the versions synced. They don't they don't have like, you know, every major version matches up with every other major right. version of the other packages. So it's not very intuitive. No, that makes sense. If I'm trying to get started with an app, because I've got some other kind of toy apps, right, that I'm thinking about working on or playing with or putting together. So if I'm looking at something like that and I'm thinking, okay, maybe Firebase is the right idea for me. It looks like, you know what, I don't have to fuss with a backend too much. I can just throw everything on a WebSocket and make Firebase think about it. How do I get started? How do I get started with, okay, I'm doing a, a, a single-page app with Firebase, and I'm not going to serve up any HTML on my own? It depends which platform you're building it for. So you know, if you're building an iOS app or an Android app or a web app, right? and from there, Firebase just walks you through how to install the SDK. Oh, really? Yeah. With Angular, it's a little different because if you're building an Angular app, you can just take a block of key value pairs that Firebase gives you and put them in your environment file. And it's pretty straightforward. Nice. So you get that all set up. And then I'm assuming that it provides you with, you know, the database seems obvious, right? Well, there's two different database options. There's the, okay. um, the real-time database, which is like their legacy database, and then Firestore, which is what they're working on, which is like the current database. And they're pretty much the same, but Firestore has some newer features. Okay. 
that's another thing. When you're starting out with Firebase, you're definitely going to want to think about how your schema will be set up. The thing about Firebase is that your whole database is exposed. Anybody can, if they understand the API, they can make requests from anywhere against your database. And the thing that protects it is your security rules. So you structure it such that you can protect your data with security rules. So like every user that creates data on the app, you store it under that user um, sub-document and sub-collection so that you can write a security rule that says only you can only access this data if you're signed in, or you can only write to this data if you're signed in and your ID matches the you know the user ID. Right. So that does introduce other challenges um, like querying across documents that are all under user collections. Mm-hmm. And they just released, well, not just, I'd say within the last six months, they released uh, collection group queries, which make that a lot easier. So it allows you to query all those sub-documents. Otherwise, you kind of have to basically duplicate your your data across multiple collections so that you can query some and others are protected, like write-protected. Yeah, that makes sense. So you get in, you're storing your stuff, you can set up rules for who can access what. How do you handle authentication on your app? Yeah, so they have a really nice authentication API, something like you get from Auth0, you know, or uh, Cognito from AWS, where you can use federated identity providers like Google and Facebook and GitHub. Okay. And there's even an anonymous login, which is nice certain use cases. Yeah, it's pretty pretty easy to set up. I was really impressed with how easy it was. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been looking at Auth0 for some of my stuff. and You could use Firebase too as just an Auth service for your app. That makes sense. And you can do that on the, the Blaze tier. Yep. The only thing I thought was a little quirky about it was um, I added password, password authentication and the password requirements that are built in are really weak. Like, I think it requires you to just have eight characters. You don't have to have, like, special characters or anything like that. And so I added extra requirements on top of it for Podfan. Did you have to do that within Angular, or did you set up rules in Firebase? How did that work? It's just on the front end. So you basically can't... The front end won't let you create a password that's too weak. I gotcha. So, yeah. So it sounds like you've kind of got all the tools you need in your toolbox for something like this on Firebase. What other options are there? It sounded like you had some, what do you call them? It's like Lambda functions or Azure functions. Yeah, Cloud functions and Firebase. Cloud functions, yeah. So you write those in JavaScript, I assume? Yep. It's just like Node Express. If you're familiar with Express, then it's really simple to write Cloud functions. The cool thing about Firebase too is the, um, the cold start time is about as short as I think I've seen anywhere. It's a lot faster than Azure. I don't know how it compares to AWS, but it's like a 10-second cold start, which is pretty good. And um, a nice little hack that I figured out, you can basically have like one cloud function, which is like an umbrella for a whole bunch of other cloud functions. So you just like can pass like a like an enum of what you want it to do. And then oh, interesting. that way the function stays alive a lot longer because it's a multi-purpose cloud function. That That's interesting. So you can actually set up a cloud function that calls other cloud functions, is that what you're sure? Yeah, it's just a one umbrella function that yeah. calls a bunch of other functions. 
Right. And so then that one is kept alive because it's being hit more often. Exactly. Yeah. Can you set up cloud functions to run off of your Firebase database? So like you you put something into your Firestore or yeah, something triggers. out or whatever. Yeah, you can set up triggers for those. Yep. On create, on write, or I mean on yeah, on create, on read, on update, maybe not on read, but all the ones that you would expect. Right. Do they yeah, have the, like a generic on change? Mm-hmm. So would yep. you like create or update? or maybe even delete. Yeah, those are really handy for, um, it can make a cloud function a lot simpler for, or if you're just, if you don't want your app to make a round trip to a cloud function, because mm-hmm. they have what they call callable functions. So it's like hitting an API endpoint right. from your app. But ideally you just want to use the Firestore connection because it's always open. It's a WebSocket connection and it's super right. fast. So what you can do is, architect your app so that you're updating documents in Firestore and then the cloud function triggers triggers will run when documents are written or updated and all that happens asynchronously in the background. Your app doesn't have to wait for it. Right, that makes sense. And it also seems like then you could have a trigger on your Firestore that goes and does something else that updates another document in your Firestore Yep. And then the way Firebase is set up, it would actually sit, then send the update back up the WebSocket yep. and let you know, hey, this got updated. Exactly. Yeah, because if you have, basically, if you are subscribed to an observable of any document, if that thing gets updated, you're going to know about it. Yeah, that makes sense. You can set your subscription level then so that it's not, if any document gets updated, but if any of these documents get updated or... If anything under this rule gets updated, notify me. But ignore everything else. I don't want to know about it. Yeah, so probably you would be subscribed to a certain collection or, or just a single document. You wouldn't, you know, usually you would only be, you would only have a few subscriptions simultaneously. Right. Now, does it also allow you to connect to like block storage? So we're talking, what's the equivalent, S3 on Amazon or... Yeah. I don't know what Azure calls there, so, but yeah. Yeah, so for instance, when you claim your podcast on PodFan, it grabs the podcast art and then it uses Sharp on in a cloud function to resize it to a couple different sizes and then it stores it in the Firebase CDN. I can't remember what, what they call it. I think it's just cloud storage. Mm-hmm. And then generates a simple URL to access the different files that are generated. And so your PodFan page will load a lot faster. You won't have to go fetch the 3,000 pixel by 3,000 pixel image that's served from the RSS feed. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the the RSS feeds, I think that's so funny. Apple requires a 3,000 by 3,000 and then you look at it on your page or on your phone and it's this tiny image and I'm just like... Yeah. So you needed one that big, really? Yeah, and the iTunes API resizes them to like yes. three or four different sizes. But then anybody who's just fetching your feed is pulling down, you know, this huge uh, image file. So yeah, yeah, I've never quite understood that because they pull down the huge image file on their podcast app, and then the podcast app, I'm sure, resizes it too. So it's like I yeah. don't need this giant thing. Probably has if it just uses the iTunes API to get it. it it's probably a little quicker. So yeah. I think they. They resize it to 600 by 600 and 100 by 100. I guess the other thing is, is 
how is Angular as far as helping you create a good customer experience and things like that? Because a lot of times you talk about the technical stuff and, okay, how do we connect and WebSockets? You know, we've kind of talked our way through a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But then it's, all right, now I've got this, this thing on the back end that I'm talking to and sending things to. But if people don't want to use my app, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. So yeah, what does Angular give you on that end? So I think the best benefit of Angular is um, just the snappiness of using in, using an Angular app. It's just super fast because all the routing is done on the front end. So when you combine that with SSR, you get the SEO benefits. Right. But yeah, just the snappiness. And then the other thing I would say is the integration with observables is really nice. You know, it just it comes baked in with Angular and it just meshes really well with so many things. Gotcha. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Are you using anything like Angular Material or Angular Bootstrap or something for your design? Yeah, so I did use um, Bootstrap as my grid and like CSS utilities. A lot of people talk about how great Tailwind is. I got to say Bootstrap 4 has awesome utilities in it. Mm -hmm. And if you just want to use it for the utilities, you can use it the same way you use Tailwind. So I use like flex utilities and just the grid. Um, You know, you get responsiveness out of the box. And then I'm using uh, material for like buttons and forms and stuff like that. Dialogues. Gotcha. What's your process? Because a lot of people that I've worked with and some of the projects I've I've worked on, you know, you work in on a team and it and you kind of have this shared process or this shared methodology for doing stuff. If you're working on a project kind of nights and weekends, how much time were you able to commit every week and what what did your process look like as you built this out? It was a highly technical, super organized process of um, writing features down on a whiteboard and crossing them off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty much it. Like, you know, and there, I wouldn't even call them features. I would call them epics, basically. Yeah. My day job is like everything broken down into every little piece that you need. Yeah. I would basically just write an epic on the whiteboard and then cross it off when I got done with it and just try to organize it in a way that, you know, you get whatever it's depending on done first and then move your way up the dependency chain. Yeah, that's kind of the way that I've built the things that I've built on my own. But for the podcasting software that I've been working on, I eventually hired a developer to help me with it. And so, cool. yeah, then it's been a process of breaking it down, right? It's like, okay, but it's, it is nice when there are two of you because you can just talk through the epic. You know, you record the call and he's got everything he needs. The issue is, is yeah, now I'm going back and I'm nitpicking. Okay, this isn't coming from the right email address. I need this <laughs> text in here, right? and working through that. So yeah, I'm assuming that the process was pretty similar for you. You got the big pieces in and then you went back and you said, okay, this needs to be refined this way or that way. Yeah. And one of the things that I really had to, that I had to go back and kind of redo was the way the Stripe billing was set up. Mm-hmm. Learning Stripe and the the whole, all the conventions and different ways that you can charge in Stripe is kind of a whole world unto itself and I was just thinking like if there was a consultant that I could have called who who I could have just talked to for an hour oh, and yeah just been like here's what I want to do and how do I you know what endpoints and what calls do I want to use to do that it would have been awesome to have that but I just stumbled through it yeah and stripe has a concept of callbacks and since your app is 
all front end with Firebase, did you just create a like a Google Cloud function that it called? Yeah, there's a bunch of like I have a whole folder of Stripe cloud functions. And the cool thing about cloud functions is they they just want you to return a promise and everything in the then Stripe node library is a promise. Basically, a lot of these are just like async awaiting promises because you have to make a few calls and then you just return the last one. Yeah, it makes sense. So are there things you're adding on to it now? Yeah, so I'm working on um, a charting feature because PodFan records stats for all the distributed feeds, the member-only feeds, mm-hmm. and we just haven't had a way yet to show that data. So I think I'm going to use uh, eCharts, and there's a nice Angular wrapper for that, NGX eCharts. It's a really cool project. There's there's like a million different you know ways you can visualize data with eCharts. I've been right. pretty impressed by it. Yeah, that'll be exciting to see. Because that's the one thing. I, I used Patreon for a while, and it was kind of a pain in the butt to manage. And yep. I've been looking at buymeacoffee.com, and I kind of set that up on the website, but it's pretty simplistic. And sure. I'm kind of liking the idea of putting up a private feed, right? And then just telling people, hey, look, you know, come in, give me 10 bucks a month or whatever, and you'll get access to you know, whatever it is that I'm putting out on this feed. And I don't know if that would be necessarily like, you know, here outtakes from JavaScript Jabber, or if it would be more along the lines of, hey, because I, I, I have a career podcast that I've been working on getting together. And so cool. I don't know if I would put something together like that, where it's like, hey, look, first episode of the week is free, second episode of the week is paid or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways you can do a member-only feed. I mean, you can you can release content in advance. You can release an ad-free feed or you could do bonus content. So there's different ways you can come at it yeah. depending on what, what's right for your audience. And then in terms of just donations, like buying me a coffee, uh-huh. I think they, cha- they take 5% for what it's worth on Podfin. If you're just collecting donations, Podfin doesn't take any percentage. It's just the Stripe transaction fee that comes out of whatever you're getting paid. Yeah. I think that's the revenue model, though, for something like Buy Me a Coffee. And you mentioned that you're not really making a lot of money off of PodFan. Yeah. But the interestingly, um, most people are using it as a member-only feed distribution tool. Mm-hmm. So I think there's more. I think most people don't make a whole lot of money just accepting donations. Right. I think it's more when you're saying, here's some extra content and Jack says that you just have to become a member at this tier. Right. That makes sense. And I've been thinking too about doing like a how to keep current, right? Mm-hmm. And then having content for here's how you keep current on Angular, right? And so it's essentially a podcast feed that's not necessarily a news feed like you see from some of these folks where it's like, here's this blog post and this story and this video. But mostly it's along the lines of, you know, the Angular team put out a new feature or the TypeScript team has adopted a new standard or right. And so you can kind of just talk yeah. through that and just allow people to kind of get the basics in a couple of minutes or something like that. Yeah, that'd be so, pretty helpful. I thought about putting something like that together, but then part of me thinks, well, I'll just put it out as a podcast for free. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to solve, that's for sure. Yeah. Not easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I want to help people out. I mean, I'm really kind of on a mission to help people be successful. And so if, if I'm putting it behind a paywall, I'm not helping as many people. But 
then I've also got to pay the bills. So yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky line to walk for sure. Yeah. And if you ever have any ideas about something you'd like to do and you don't know of any platform that provides it, I'd love to hear it because I'd love to fill those niches. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'd love to see you making money on this thing. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So are there any other aspects of uh, building this app in particular or working on Firebase or anything that we haven't discussed? I think I covered the main parts. I think the thing to think about mostly when you're working with Firebase is how you model your data so that you can write security rules for it. Mm -hmm. And I should mention that they they have it really well documented. So you're not going to come into this like guessing. They have really good documentation and they, they tell you up front, you know, make sure you write security rules, you know, and they tell you, they give you examples. They're constantly releasing new features for it. So it's definitely alive and well. It's, you know, it's always being updated. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess that's one other thing that I'm a little curious about is the stats, right? Is you, you mentioned that you're collecting statistics on feeds. Right. And that's something that I've kind of wanted to pull together. And so... Yeah, that was tough too to get it to record like stats accurately. There was a lot of work put into that to make sure that yeah. those stats are as accurate as possible. And do you just have a cloud function for that or? Yeah, so there's a cloud function that when it publishes the private RSS feed for the member, there's a, a URL to request the audio and that's like a relay. Mm-hmm. It actually sends back the audio, but it records the request. Right. That makes sense. Same thing for the RSS feed, I'm assuming. Yep. It relays around to PodFan, make sure they can access it. And then... Yeah, well, the RSS feed is under PodFan. Right. It's just like an API endpoint, basically, that serves um, XML. Yep. That makes sense. Very cool. You should check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, I think I will. I'd love to do some extra content and, yeah, just put it up there and see, see where we end up. Yeah, cool. Well, I've really enjoyed the show. I think you do a great job on it and a lot of good stuff. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. The shows are a lot of work, believe you me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. And that's the that's the challenge is um, when you set up a Patreon or a PodFan or something, it's like, well, here's another thing that I have to do. Yeah. And when I built it, I'm, I, I did that within, with that in mind, trying to make it as simple as possible. And I have some resources on the site, how to like, provide rewards that are all digital, that are still valuable to your listeners and things like that. Yep, absolutely. You should let people know where to find you online. Um, I'm inorganic on Twitter, inorganic with a K. Um, You can find my website, inorganic.net. That's I-N-O-R-G-A-N-I-K. Nice. And PodFan, is it pod.fan? That's right, pod.fan. All right. Just for all of my other podcasting friends. <laughs> I was able to get that domain the day the pot, the dot fan top level domain was released. Nice. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. 
I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show, and we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of The Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. I'll go ahead and get us started. I've been listening to a book series that I read probably when I was like 12. And somebody picked it on one of the shows. I don't remember which one. And it might have been Adventures in Angular, in which case I guess you all will get uh, double the picks. It's the Magician Apprentice, Magician Master. It's the Rift War Saga by Raymond E. Feist. I went and looked at his website and I had to stop myself from emailing him and saying, can I help you with this? Because this website is, it, it looks like it was built in the, it probably was built in the 90s and it looks awful, but the books are awesome. So yeah, I've really been enjoying that. It's been so long since I read them that I honestly don't remember any parts of the plot. So it's like listening to them for the first time on Audible. Um, cool. And I'm really, really dealing with that or enjoying that. Um, Feist? Was Feist. F-E-I-S-T. Yep. It's the Rift War Saga. I'll put a link here in the show notes. Cool. I'd love to also see them uh, turn this into a, like a TV show or something. But That'd be cool. Here, I'll put a link to his website too, so you can all suffer through it like I did. And then the other pick I have, this, there's a game that I've been playing on my phone for a long time. It's called Kingdoms of Heckfire. Yeah, dumb name, fun game. And I've really enjoyed those. So, so yeah, I'll pick those as well, or pick that game as well. What type of game is that? There are a lot of them out there where you essentially build an army, join a clan, and then go fight other people on the map. I like Clash of Clans. Kind of, except Clash of Clans, you're typically looking for somebody else's city to go and attack. And then you set up the strategy on how you're going to hit them. With this, you just attack them on the map, and it's basically your army, their army, hits the algorithm, and it decides who wins, how many soldiers died, and all that stuff. It's a little more simplistic on the battle. You know, if you have a, a bigger, stronger army with better dragons, then you'll win. I can get into that. I like real-time strategy games. Yeah. But yeah, it's mostly uh, almost a farming game with a, with a clan component, you know, a social component, and a, uh, an attack component. So Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm big into idle games. I love idle games. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I've been playing lately. And I'll put a link in the show notes for that one as well. Do you have some picks for us? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been playing a lot of uh, free sell, but there's this company called Skills and they have a whole bunch of apps that are just different games that you can play competitively. And free sell is one of them. So mm -hmm. you can actually bet money. And I haven't done this. I've only played for the in-game currency, but they pay out a lot of money to people who are like really good players. And so you can like throw down a few dollars and play some games and they score. So when you go to play a game, you're playing the same hand that the other person gets. And then 
you get scored based on like how quickly you can play, like how quickly you can win things like that. And then the higher score wins. Yeah. So that's kind of addicting. And then, um, my, just the idle games, like egg ink, been playing that game for like years. Egg ink. That's a fun one too. It's such a simple, I mean, kind of an almost dumb game. I don't want to call it a dumb game because I've spent a lot of time playing it, but once you form <laughs> the habit, it's your hook. Once you do it, it's just like, it's a habit. You can't help it. Just do it every day. Yeah. And I love the different kinds of eggs you wind up farming and it, it's a, it's a really entertaining game. Yeah. Kevin Pizzira, I would love to see an interview with him about that game because I think he has like probably one of the the largest user bases of any game. I mean, it's just, there's certain like clues when you play it, like just like the amount of people that are on like the discord and, and like the fandom site and stuff like that. You can tell it has a huge following. Yeah. Very cool. I didn't ask, but what is your day job? What do you do there? So I work for Brebug and they're oh, okay. um, experts. And so they contract us out to different companies, mostly for staff augmentation. And me and a couple other developers have been at uh, Maxar now for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do satellite photography. So it's been a pretty cool experience. Nice. Yeah, I've spent some time with uh, Brian Love and Jesse Sanders and a few other folks that work or have worked for Brebug. So. Yeah, it's a great it's a great group of developers, and I've learned a ton working there. It's been a great experience. Nice. Well, I'll put in a plug for Brebug too. I really appreciate a lot of the work that they've done there, and uh, I know that they run like Angular yeah, Denver. And stuff the cool like thing that. is they, uh, they have a huge emphasis on learning, and it's yeah. it's one of their core values is you know learn, grow, teach, and so spend a lot of time teaching stuff and learning stuff about Angular, and it's been a great way to grow as a developer. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming. I'm going to encourage people to go check out uh, PodFan. And uh, we'll we'll be back next week. Well, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.